0: All right, good morning. Let's open our Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Samuel in the New uh, Old Testament. Excuse me. We're in chapter 30. We're going to look at all 31 verses of chapter 30, Lord willing. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 31. The topic we'll find there is this. After traveling about a hundred miles round trip, David's men talk of stoning him to death. When they return home to find Ziklag burned and their families taken captive, the title of our message, How to Avoid Becoming Ziklagged as You Travel. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for your love and grace, Lord, your love which sent Jesus Christ uh, to die for us on the cross and rise from the dead, and your grace by which you invite us to be saved, Lord, um, by which you are able to declare us righteous without any works of our own that we would boast. We're here this morning to further our knowledge, certainly, of the Bible and of Jesus Christ, but also to draw close to you, to be in your presence, to sense and know that you are with us. Because after all, Lord, you are a risen living Savior. You can be known personally and uh, by your Holy Spirit, which uh, indwells us, Lord. We can draw close to you and know that you've drawn close to us. And so help us as we work through these verses, Lord, and may our desire be to see Jesus more clearly revealed in them than before we read them. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name and those who agreed said, Amen. If you are ever sick or injured, the words you want to hear from your physician are, you're going to make a full and complete recovery. There are times in your walk with the Lord when you misstep, You find yourself off the path, out in the world, not in the will of God. Can you hope to make a full and complete recovery? Well, David is our example. He misstepped. Rather than endure his trials, he had fled to enemy territory and befriended the world. He was a hair's breadth away from having to fight with the Philistines against his own countrymen. God stepped in and recovered David. He brought David to a place where we read in verse 6, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. After recovering David, God instructed him to go out and, in verse 8, recover all that he had lost during the time that he had been away from the Lord. I like that. God took steps to recover David, and then he instructed him about how to recover all he had forfeited. Since God is no respecter of persons, we can be confident that if he did that for David, he can and will do it for us. I'm going to organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, When you misstep in your Christian walk, the Lord takes steps to recover you. And number two, after a misstep in your Christian walk, you take steps to recover all. Let's look at verses 1 through 6 first and see how the Lord brought David to a place of recovery. Now, this particular episode in David's life seemed to have a happy ending in chapter 29 when the Philistine lords determined to send David home to Ziklag, rather than risk having him turn against them in the battle against Israel. It must have been a great relief for David and his men to have dodged that bullet. Having traveled some 50 miles, I'm told by scholars, to the muster of the armies, they got up early the next morning to travel the 50 miles back. Seems it took about three days anxious to return home, tired from travel. There was no happy ending awaiting their return. From some distance away, they would see smoke rising and pick up their pace, worried about what had happened at Ziklag. And so in verse 1, we pick up the story. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day. The Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. They had taken captive the women and those who were with uh, there from small to great, they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. David had left Ziklag completely defenseless. He was a great military strategist and therefore he knew better. He put all those He loved at risk. It devastated His family and the families of those associated with Him. Our missteps out of the will of God don't just affect us, as sad as that is. When we wander out of the will of God, we put others at risk. We're part of their spiritual defense and help. When we're not on our watch, the enemy comes in through us against them as well, Verse 4, Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept till they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, they had been taken captive as well. Now it's true of backsliding that you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Some of you have shed tears like this when your world came crashing down on you on account of your sin. You may have lost your family over it. It's devastating. It's terrible. It's terrifying. Verse 6, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Things got worse and I would say worser for David. And then just like that in a moment of spiritual clarity the tide turned as David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. How did he do that? Well it seems to be nothing more but nothing less than a return in his mind and heart to submission to God and to the understanding that the Lord is sufficient in all things and for all things. He He just had that moment and and it's that moment that you have, you know, when you realize by the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you've been sinning, that you've been out of the will of God. And then you just it it just like a light goes off in your head and you think, man, you know, what am I doing here? What have I been thinking Uh, after all the Lord has done for me and then for me to wander off like this? And so, David, you know, you can say it's because he hit rock bottom, but he kept hitting rock bottom over and over again. And finally, though he got to this point, and and after he had seemingly lost everything, he strengthened himself in the Lord. He remembered the Lord, that the Lord was sufficient. Now, David is going to literally recover all that was taken from he and his men. I was thinking about this and realized I need to be honest with you and tell you that you and I might not always be able to recover all, In our recovery we can turn to the Lord no doubt about that we can come back to the Lord as many times as we fall and fail he's always there for us but marriages do fail families do fall apart careers are ruined. What we're seeing in David is what God does, what God can do, what God is capable of doing in a situation. He works to recover you. He sets up circumstances and instances like he did with David so that he could recover you. And he can help you recover all. But he still respects free will. Those who were left defenseless, who were devastated... Your family, for instance, must also strengthen themselves in the Lord. God cannot force them to be a part of your recovery. And so if you're walking away from God, out of the will of God, let Him recover you right now before any more damage is done to those you truly love. Over the years, I've seen God do tremendous recovery work. Things that you you would look at a situation and think, even the Lord is going to have a hard time with this. I mean, the person was so deep and so far into sin and they had so ruined their family or their career or whatever it was, probably everything. And, and, and sometimes, because of the depth and, and even sometimes the perversion of their sin, uh, families are lost. The, the other people don't come along. It's not a failure on God's part. Had... The person repented earlier. Perhaps there would have been a recovery of all. But God recovers them and gets them back on the track walking with Him. Other situations, God does recover all. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. Having ruined your life with your missteps, the first step back is always, of course, to the Lord. Whatever happens next, you can walk in forgiveness and in the power of His Holy Spirit. In other words, you return to the Lord not to get something, but to be with someone, to be with him again. And he will walk with you through the aftermath, whatever it might be, seeking to recover all. He's capable of doing it. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. But in the meantime, you're with him and he loves you. Now, the second thing we're going to look at, after a misstep in your Christian walk, you take steps to recover all. As David asked to recover all that was lost, we're going to see some spiritual steps we can and should take every day in our walk with the Lord. Whether we have just returned from a misstep or have been walking circumspectly with the Lord, these are things we ought to be doing as we journey home toward heaven. And so verses 7 and 8, Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, "...please bring the ephod here to me." And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, "...shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them?" And he, the Lord, answered him, "...pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all." Now the ephod was a portion of the high priest's garments that speaks to us symbolically of prayer. This garment went over the garment that the regular priest wore. The ephod set the high priest apart. It was the garment he wore when he went into the golden altar of prayer. It had two stones, one on each shoulder, on which were engraved the names of the twelve tribes of Israel, six on one shoulder and six on the other. And so it symbolized the high priest coming to the altar of prayer, carrying Israel, as it were, on his shoulders, bearing them before the Lord. Now, we read this and we commend David for going immediately to prayer. He strengthens himself in the Lord his God. He immediately goes to prayer. But I want to notice something a little bit deeper here. David's inquiry was, shall I pursue this troop? Would that have been your prayer? It would not have been my prayer. I would have prayed, God, give me strength to overtake this troop and recover all that was lost. I mean, to me, there's no, there's no even asking the Lord, should I try to do that? You understand what I'm saying? David, David didn't say, Lord, now strengthen us. We've just been marching a hundred miles over several days. Now we have to go to battle. We want to recover everything that was lost. It's the right thing to do. But David stops. He gets way back into his submission to the Lord and he says, should we even go after? This troop, I I just have to hear from you. I don't want to make any decisions anymore on my own, even the ones that seem to make sense. And so the very words David spoke show his attitude in prayer. One of total and complete submission to the will of God. God could have said no. And I am speculating, of course, but I think David was at a place where he would have received it and told his army, guys, all is lost, but praise the Lord anyway. And so this is one of the most remarkable parts of the story to me, that David doesn't have a directed prayer. He wants direction from the Lord. He doesn't ask the Lord to bless his plans. His plans had led to this situation. He says, Lord, I need to know exactly what you want me to do. Starting with, do you even want me to go after these people. And so a first step on the daily road for those of us who are recovered is not just prayer, but it's to be submitted wholly to God's will. Then we pray as we ought to, seeking Him for strength to accomplish His will on the earth. Verse 9, So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind, But David pursued, he and his 400 men, for 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Besor. These 200 men will become prominent at the end of the chapter, and so let's talk about them when we encounter them again. Moving on into verse 11, then they found an Egyptian in the field and they brought him to David and they gave him bread and he ate and they let him drink water. They gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, To whom do you belong and where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man from Egypt, the servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites and the territory which belongs to Judah. And of the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, can you take me down to this troop? So he said, swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this troop. Even though they were days behind in their pursuit of the Amalekites, and their families were in deep trouble, they stopped to help this young man. Now, sure... He had information for them. I understand that. But they could have gotten it out of him some other way. I mean, would Jack Bauer have fed and refreshed this guy? I don't think so. Compassion is the word I would use to describe David's actions. Though focused on his mission to recover all that had been taken, told by the Lord, go and recover all, he did not ignore those he encountered along the way. He treated this young man with compassion. Every step along our daily road is to be measured with the compassion of Jesus Christ. Jesus came into our existence, into our world, the God-man, fully God but fully human. And as Charles Spurgeon once said, his entire life and ministry could be summarized by a phrase in Matthew where it says he was filled with compassion. It was compassion that led him to earth. It was compassion that led him on the earth. It was compassion that led him to the cross. And so we as Christians, we have this compassion. We sometimes lose it. We let things uh, destroy it and kill it. But uh, we see here that even when we're on the mission, and we're pressing forward (coughs) as David was, there is time to be compassionate to those we find along the way, those who are lost who've been cast off. And it's, there's a whole another study in here just about this Egyptian and how the, you know, the world treats those who are in the world, how it casts them off when they're useless, leaves them behind, seeks to see them die. And then the Christian comes along and feeds and encourages and strengthens and brings life. Verse 16, when he had brought him down, <laughs> there they were, "...spread out over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except four hundred young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives." Nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and herds they had driven before these other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. Now, just putting ourselves into this scene, imagine how very tired David and his men must have been. This all started with them having marched from and to Ziklag, we think around a hundred miles round trip. Then they had suffered extreme emotional pain at Ziklag. That kind of mental pain is physically exhausting. Some of you understand that you've, you've had this kind of loss or something happened in your life and, and you're just weeping and sobbing and, and your whole body is just brought to a place of exhaustion. Some of David's men had been so physically exhausted that they actually had to be left behind along the way. Now having come upon the enemy, they fight them hand to hand from twilight until evening of the next day. It tells me that we must be relentless pursuing and then destroying spiritual strongholds and enemies. David had just come out of an episode where he ran to the land of his enemies to try and hide and it brought him to this point. Now, having strengthened himself in the Lord, he was determined to not let anyone live. He was going to fully and utterly destroy the enemy, Uh, regardless his physical exhaustion and the exhaustion of his men, which was very real, he engaged the enemy. And just as David fought them for a a full 24 hours, our fight is 24-7 every day. Some of them escaped on camels to fight another day. The camel brigade, the Amalekite camel brigade. So uh, I I don't know why I think that's funny. You know, these guys fleeing on camels. But what it tells us is that there will always be enemies to fight day by day. Though our goal is to destroy every enemy and every enemy stronghold on a daily basis. To have victory and to walk in victory. As long as we're in these bodies of flesh in this fallen world and there's a devil loose with his demons, we're going to have problems. We're going to have an enemy. You go to bed tonight uh, or this afternoon, whenever you sleep, you're going to have an enemy when you wake up. Actually, you have an enemy while you're sleeping. Uh, You just don't know it. And uh, so go to bed with victory. Thank the Lord for keeping you and yours safe and uh, for the battle and for the strength, but know that the uh, enemy is going to be there in all of his strength tomorrow. Verse 21 Now David came to the two hundred men who had been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they also had made to stay at the brook of Besor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, because they did not go with us, we're not going to give them any of the spoil that we have recovered except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. But David said, My brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. So it was from that day forward he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. So here are the 200 men who stayed behind. Notice that David had given them a task to stay by the supplies. Yet they were exhausted, they stayed behind, but David had them stay by and guard their supplies, their supply line. They kept them safe. These verses are worthy of a whole separate study. For one thing, they are tremendous encouragement to all those who are called upon to function in a church in a support capacity. We've been talking about our team of ten men that are in Eureka. They're there street witnessing. They're in the rescue mission. They're picking up hitchhikers. They're among the homeless. They're involved in what we would consider hand-to-hand spiritual combat on the ground. Did you pray for them? Maybe you skipped a meal fasting to pray for them. Maybe the Lord put it on your heart to give something extra in your offering towards the trip. To the extent you and I supported them, we were guarding the supplies and thus we are going to share equally in the work and the reward. God credits us as if we were there with them. I, I love this. This is fantastic. Now, we're not off the hook. We, it isn't that we can just sit around and do nothing. When you know These guys, they had to guard the stuff. We don't know what happened, if anything, while they were guarding the stuff. They, they weren't just you know, sleeping and hanging around. They weren't just there. They, they had a task. But as those who stayed by and, and guarded the supply line and were in charge of the supplies, they, David said, Hey, you know, we went, we went the extra distance. We risked our lives. We fought man to man, hand to hand, 24 hours. There's blood all over us. Uh, but we all share equally in this work. And, and I love that because there are always going to be times when you're out on the front line perhaps where God has put you and you have a sense of victory, and you're flushed with victory, but there have to be people behind you supporting you, praying for you, uh, giving to the work of the Lord. And to the extent that we pray and fast and give, that that is part of our spiritual discipline, we can consider ourselves sharing in that work. And you know, the older I get, I don't think of myself as as uh, you know, an old man, although everybody else does now. Uh, but uh, the older I get, the more I've been thinking about just seeing the Lord, Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that you know, our, our life is a vapor of smoke. It appears for a moment and then it vanishes away. I mean, people die at, at, at every age. But nor, you know, normally we think we're going to live and, and uh, get to a, an, an old age. And as you get older, you start thinking that you have less time ahead of you than you have behind you. And you start realizing for real that you're going to see Jesus Christ. You're going to die, uh, you know, sooner than later. Uh, and then you, of course, are always reminded here that the rapture could occur. And, and it's our understanding from reading Scripture that that moment, there's going to be a judgment. Uh, it's a judgment of rewards. We're going to stand before the Lord and He's going to want to reward us. And He's so generous. He's so good. He's not going to get, you know, you're not going to get to heaven. I'm not, I'll use myself, I'm not going to get to heaven and, and the Lord's going to say, well, Gene, you, you didn't go to Eureka. You didn't go to Eureka, and so man, that's a that's a negative. You know? Can you imagine if you ever you know make a list of, of you know uh, pros and cons? You know, maybe you're getting a job or something. You think, well, here's the pros and here's the cons. You know how Do you realize how long the list of cons would be if the Lord was keeping a list like that? You know well, Gene? You didn't go to Eureka, but He's going to say, you know, Gene, you did go to Eureka because you prayed for and supported the team that went there, and, and in fact, everybody in the church that prayed for and supported them, went there as far as I'm concerned. They didn't have to pick up the hitchhiker and wonder if they were in some weird horror movie you know, or something like that. They just, they just did it and they were led. And, and to the extent that they did it and you supported them, you did it. Well done. And, and God is just going to blow your mind with things like that if you're on board as a supply agent and you're doing the things behind the scenes that need to be done. You're either called to go or to support. Either one requires a real sacrifice of time, talent, and treasure. Verse 26, Now when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah, to his friends, saying, Here's a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. To those who were in Bethel, to those who were in Ramoth of the south, those who were in Jatir, those who were in Oror, those who were in Sifmoth, those who were at Esthimoah, and Those who were at Rachel, those who were in the cities of the Jerhalamites and those who were in the cities of the Kenites. Those who were in Hormon, those who were in Koreshon and those who were in Athach. And those who were in Hebron and to the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to rove. This was a smart move diplomatically. David had been in Philistine territory for an extended period of time. He needed to let the citizens of Israel know he was still one of them, still on track to be their king once God removed Saul. There's also a great illustration for us in David's actions here. We would say David gave gifts to men. It reminds me of verses you read in Ephesians chapter 4 that say, Jesus has given gifted men to the church and given gifts to the men and women of the church. We are then called upon to exercise those gifts in ways that build up other believers. Are you aware of the gifts available to you? The spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit? You can read about them. You can see them listed, that is, in 1 Corinthians 12, in Ephesians chapter 4, and in Romans 12. They are not necessarily exhaustive lists, but those are the major lists in Scripture of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then I'd recommend that you discover them being properly used by Jesus in the Gospels and or by the apostles and the believers in the book of Acts and in the rest of the New Testament. A lot of people say, well, what are the gifts of the Spirit? Here's the list. How are they exercised? Well, before we start defining that, let's see how Jesus exercised these gifts because he was filled with the Spirit and had the gifts of the Spirit. Let's see how the apostles exercised them, gifts of faith and healing and things like that, and what teaching they did about them. Uh, and so if you're curious about that, then uh, you know, read about one or two of the gifts that you read and then say, uh, let me find an instance of this in Scripture. Where do I see, for example, the discernment of spirits? A lot of people ask about that. What is the discernment of spirits as a spiritual gift? Well, you go to the book of Acts and you see Paul the Apostle and uh, he's ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of a sudden he's being followed by this young girl and she's saying, listen to these guys. They are the servants of the Most High God. They're telling you the truth about God and salvation. But Paul had a discernment of spirits. He knew that the source of the information that this girl had, though it was accurate, the information, the source of it was demonic. She was actually a demon-possessed slave girl who... Her masters used to make money, and so he turned around and he uh, not only had the gift of discerning of spirits, but he did an exorcism, cast the demon out of her. And so you can see the gifts, and you see them exercising. Go, oh, okay, I understand. Most important then is then you gather with other believers under the authority of Jesus in a local church, and you find that you start exercising gifts to build others up. You discover you're gifting around others in the church because by definition, God gives you them to minister to others. So you're not really going to know your gift or exercise your gift by yourself. You're going to do it in the context of the body of Christ. It doesn't have to be just on Sunday morning. That's not what we're talking about. But you're going to have to be connected to the body of Christ so that you can minister to other Christians and you find yourself ministering to them in ways that the Holy Spirit leads you. And it's all very wonderful and supernatural. And so, read the list, see how they're exercised properly, because it is possible to exercise the gifts in an improper way. 1 Corinthians uh, 14, you can see terrible abuses of the gifts of the Spirit in the church at Corinth. Uh, And so, just because it's the Holy Spirit gifting you doesn't mean... There's no control or that you can't uh, know how to exercise it. But then after that, you say, well, I'm just going to hang around with Christians. And I'm going to have a heart to minister to them. And as I minister to them, I'm going to see what the Lord has given me and gifted me with. So whether you are recovered by God from a misstep or you want to walk with him to avoid missteps, these are some of the steps that you should take every day. Submit yourself to God, then pray and follow His leading. Prayer by itself is not submission to God. James says sometimes we uh, uh, have not because we pray and ask for things that feed our own lusts. And So just because I'm praying, it doesn't mean I'm submitted to God. Many times in prayer I'm telling God what I want or what I expect Him to do. And so David, he, said, he submitted himself to God and then he asked God basic questions. Should I, should I follow this? What, what should I do, Lord? Submit yourself to God, then pray. Follow His leading. Maintain the compassion of Christ towards everyone you encounter by looking upon them as eternal beings for whom Jesus died. I admit it can be hard to have compassion on some people. It seems extra hard when I'm driving or when I'm at Walmart uh, or, you know, times like that. But... Uh, The other day I was at Walmart and it was just, it was one of those days where everybody was barricading the aisles, you know. I think there's a normal etiquette when you're shopping, isn't there? You know, where you you leave enough room to get by. Uh, And it was just one of those days where everybody had, they got to where they were going and then they made a barricade with their cart, you know. And so there was no getting by uh, and all of that. And then the other thing that happens, not just at Walmart, I, I like to pick on Walmart, but at stores... What is it about, I'm, I'm here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm at the shelf, I'm looking at my stuff, and people come and they say, excuse me, meaning, get out of the way, I know you're here before me, but I need to be here right now. And so, uh, so I, I, they excuse me, I back up, and then they take my position and they start looking at what I was looking at. I thought, you know, what's going on? Compassion. Uh, that kind of stuff kills my compassion for people, but... Uh, Obviously, these are facetious things. I'm talking on a much deeper level. Uh, There are just people and sometimes even whole groups of people that we lack compassion for. How do we maintain the compassion of Christ? Jesus looked upon you and I and every human being as an eternal being. And he understood that we were born into sin, born with a sin nature. (coughs) Sin was imputed to our account in eternity past. That we were acting according to our nature. But he came to intervene on our behalf. And he died for us while we were yet sinners. While we were yet the enemies of God. And so whenever I feel my compassion waning, I just need to step back and say, this is a person that is going to die one day. And they have one of two possible destinations. And Whatever it is they're doing to me right now or, or you know whatever group they happen to be in, that can't be as serious as their eternal destiny. And Jesus, you came and you looked upon a person just like that, only it was me. And you followed through with the good news. And so that's what I want to do as well. Third, never relax in the fight against spiritual enemies. We're a Culture that is prone to relaxation. I love to relax. Kick back. Whatever you like to do to relax. You have something you like to do to relax. You can never relax spiritually. We enjoy a spiritual rest in Jesus, true. But we can't relax and say, Well, I, I don't need to guard against this sin anymore. I don't need to put a hedge around this. I would never fall in that way. Oh, be careful, the Bible says, when you think you're standing, because that is when you fall. Then be sure that you're either going forth to minister or you're supporting those who are. Either way, you're called upon to be a living sacrifice by praying and giving and fasting. Uh, being a living sacrifice, Romans 12.1, you know, being the living sacrifice. It doesn't just mean, you know, here, here am I, God, I, my body, my person, I'm a living sacrifice. It means you make sacrifices in your life. It means God can call upon you and say, well, Gene, since you're a sacrifice on the altar and what happens to sacrifices, they die. So I want you to die to yourself right now and go talk to that person. I want you to go witness to that. I want you to go on this trip. I want you to go to here. I want you to go there. OK. Or I want you to die to yourself and pray and fast and give towards those who are doing that. But, you know, you have to take the next step. You're not really a You're living, but you're not always a living sacrifice unless you're actually sacrificing. And then finally, be part of a church and gather with it to discover and exercise the gifts God has chosen to give you by which you minister to others and build them up and they do the same for you. Let's pray.